Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to Crowcast Podcast. I'm Shane. Hey, I'm Ronnie. And these are the audio versions of the interviews we've had with our special guests on Crowcast. This episode is with Brian Tatler. An absolute gem of a, of a guy, mate. Uh, packed with stories yet again. We're really fortunate with Crowcast. We're getting to learn more about musicians throughout the industry. Uh, Diamond Head... A massive, massive cult band, I would say. I think that's fair. Um, that, you know, like I said, he shared the stories of Metallica and how Lars got into it, isn't it, Shane? Uh, unbelievable about the history he has with Lars and Metallica. Um, Lars's favourite band. He goes into depth there, talking on Crowcast. Um, just a really generous guy with his time, too. You know what I mean? A really lovely guy. Can't wait to meet up with him. Yeah, they've toured the world. Um, so many bands always mention Diamond Head or they've covered their songs. So it yep. was great to have him on. Um, we didn't go into the history of them losing members, the ups and downs. We just kind of tried to keep it straightforward, didn't we, mate? Um, just a straightforward chat about like how he's been through COVID, meeting up with his mates. Um, should we get into it? Let's get into it. Here we go. Strap in. This is Crowcast Podcast. We are close! Yeah! We have a fantastic guest who's waiting in the wings. Shall we get into it? Here we go, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome guitarist and songwriter for Diamond Head, a legend, Mr. Brian Tatler. <laughs> Hello! Hey. hey! How are we, Brian? I'm all right, thank you. Let's have Good a man. So where are you about to start right now? Is it at home? <laughs> uh, yes, I'm at home. I'm at home. Ronnie and Shane, how are you, how are you doing? We're, we're <laughs> very, very good, well, thank you, Very well. Are you, are you at home as well? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yes, yes. Well, there's no much else we can do, is there, at the moment, you know, while we can't tour and we can't be gigging or recording or anything. So all we can do, really, is... Uh, Stop at home and you know, like you say, go to the pub maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well that that was our first time yesterday, Brian, for like as a like as a band. I think the last time actually, cheekily, we we went over to Rock Palace to do um to do a show over there. So that's the last time we've kind of had a beer together where we were yeah. where we were able to have a beer together as a band. Um but yeah, yesterday was like the first time um, and it's just mad how you miss it. And that, like I said, that, oh, yeah. that that unit when you're all together, the banter, the being in the van together, you know, it was, oh, it was magical. It was like, you know? Yes, it is. It's like a, like a family after a while, isn't it? A group, um, you know, you, you go through so many adventures together and, and, uh, you know, you never, you never lose, you know, contact with, with, well, I suppose some people do, but, uh, you know, it is great to to go and have have a drink or two with your your bandmates when you can. When you when you you know when there's no pressure on and you can just uh, chill out and relax. Exactly, mate. I mean, I've known Ronnie since I was a kid. My, myself, Ronnie, and Shane went to school together. So um, that background is it's, it's not just the bands; it's your mates. You know what I mean? Who you've, who've yeah, it's right. it's your mates. Yeah. If you can if you can stick together, uh, you know, for like through thick and thin uh you know you'll always be supportive of each other won't you you'll uh you'll kind of do anything for each other which is a, a lovely feeling to have yeah yeah ronnie needed us yesterday big time oh, I, I, I think i needed anybody absolutely anybody but, yeah no it was so much fun like i said it was it was just exactly like I just said to you then. It was that being back on the road with the boys, you know, planning the next phase if everything starts, fingers crossed, going... Fingers crossed. Yeah, going the right way. Um, and just moments, you know, besides when you have to get up and you, you have to go to the toilet and you have to put the mask back on, and then I think that's when you start to realise, oh, yeah, we're still... It's still serious. You're still in this. Um, uh, mm. But that moment when you're around a bench and obviously, like I said, the van... It's just normal. It's just a. It's just what we need. Is you know we're we're British, so that's part of our. That's kind of part of our life. You know that community of going out, going to the pub, going, just having social social days out. Like absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, somebody's sent a question here, haven't they, Debbie Turner? 
Yep. Shall I answer this question? Please yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know who Debbie Turner is, but anyway, hello, Debbie. Uh, I, funnily enough, I do meet up with Colin and Duncan, who, you, who were the original guys. Um, we've remained friends for, you know, 50 years. And uh, we go for a curry. In fact, we're trying to organise a curry now in Starbridge because, of course, you can go you can go back out to restaurants and that, can't you? So uh, yeah. just yeah. got to agree on a date. Uh, and uh, that's great. I mean, there are guys who I don't see. Uh, you know, there's a couple of guys who've come and gone over the years that I don't see anymore. I'm sure, you know, there's no bad blood or ill feeling. But uh, because Colin and Duncan still live within about two, two or three miles of, of each other, um, it's easy enough to, to see those guys and uh, yeah. we get on great. You know, I've known them since school days, a bit like, you know, you guys. Can you imagine you guys in, in 50 years' time uh, going for a curry? It'd be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. And we, yeah. we love we love going for a curry up your way as well because it's it's just so much better than down yeah, here. Like, you know? around, uh, yeah, yeah. Some great curry houses around the Midlands. Oh, it's fantastic. How how have you been, mate, through, through all this madness over the last 18 months? Um, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't yeah. like it. I wanted to... You know, I wish it did, uh, you know, all go away. It's been horrible, hasn't it? You know, the the virus and uh, people worried about, you know, dying and catching it and all that. So I've had both my jabs now, so I feel, you know, protected. Uh, but it's still weird to have to wear the mask when you go out. And I've very often, you know, gone to the shops and then halfway there I think, oh, I haven't got a mask, you know, and you have to walk all the way back and... <laughs> And then go and get a mask and all that. I'm not in the habit of it almost yet. Um, but, yeah, I've hated it. Um, been stuck in, not being able to see friends, not being able to go to the pub or go on holiday or anything. Uh, I've hated it. Uh, but what I did decide to do when it happened last March was I thought, okay, well, this is the perfect opportunity to write, write songs at home. I've got a little studio. Just, just sort of woodshed, you know, knuckle down and use the time constructively. Um, that's what I thought. So I, I probably spent twelve months doing that. Really, I don't know what else to do. I practice every day anyway, so I could come up with a riff or go through my tapes, and uh, I put together loads and loads of stuff for what will be a new, a new Diamond Head album one day when we can. Wow. You know, so you've, you've written that, that that amount of song, an album's worth. Oh yeah. Uh, there's got to be over 20 ideas, you know. Fantastic. So, uh, we'll just, it'll be a matter of, of fighting over which ones make the album, really, because it'll only be like nine or ten, because uh, yeah. the, the length. And uh, it'll just be, I, I think it's lovely to have choice, you know, more the more the merrier, you know. You hear about people like, you know, Bruce Springsteen will write 50 or 60 songs for an album, and then the quality is going to be so much better, isn't it? You'd say, yeah. you know, th these are the best. So rather than just write 10 songs, I'd much rather write 25 and, and, and be picky. Yeah, absolutely. Does it, does it, the songwriting sort of aspect of things, does it always come from you, the spark, you know, the idea, the creative side of it, and then it gets involved? It mainly, the musically, um, I tr I'll try and come up with the riffs, you know, Diamond Head's a kind of riff-based band, so I'll try and come up with a good riff and then build from there. Um, you know, sometimes somebody else comes up with a riff or sometimes I'll co-write and we'll, I might come up with the verse and somebody else might come up with the chorus, things like that. Uh, but I, I suppose because I'm, you know, the original member and, and all that, uh, I've got that Diamond Head sort of... What's the word? You know, I I I hope it all sounds a bit like Diamond Head. Really, I hope I'm I'm that um, connection and, and yeah. keep the keep the flame alive. You know, keep the the, uh, the style together. You know, that we don't wander off and end up sounding like you know Metallica. <laughs> <laughs> well, they want to be you. Oh, well, that's what. Yeah, isn't that weird? How does that work? Yeah, how does that feel, mate? How does that feel, Brian? I mean, who's a questionnaire? Dave Bonnie. Hi, Brian. How old <laughs> were you when you co-wrote "Am I Evil"? Uh, no, nineteen. We we're all nineteen. 
which wow. is a young age to uh, wow. yeah no and uh, we went in and recorded the first album in about march i think 1980 and uh, yeah we're all about 19 so very young i mean we probably didn't even realize that that's quite young for a band to be writing and and making albums and stuff but uh so be it you know it's better if you're young i mean you're you're a you're hot property if you if you're young and uh, you've got an album's worth of material surely better better than waiting till you're 27 or something isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah can you can you remember the the first song you wrote brian oh sort of uh, the band uh it's formed by myself and Duncan, and be before we had a singer, uh, we we used to play together anyway and make up these awful little dirges, just drums and guitar. And then Sean came along, and he would then sing on top of them. And we did have a song called something like Going East, and there was one called Pits of Hell, and they were just very simple, like almost like one finger on the fretboard, do, 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 do. little little riffs, and then. Uh, we just recorded them on the cassette and we wrote lots and lots and lots of songs like that, just straight onto cassette in a lot of it in my bedroom at me, when I lived with my parents and uh, it just grew, you know, we, we got good at writing through uh, analyzing our little home cassette demos, you know, of our songs. We, we wrote a lot of songs. I always say by the time we went into the studio for Lightning to the Nations in 1980, we'd written about 100 songs. So again, we had a lot of choice, a lot of songs to pick from, you know, and we played a lot of them live. So um, we had, we, we were ready, you know. Yeah. So what age were we talking about? That first song when you were, you and Duncan? Sort of Sorry, what was that? What age were you? When you went okay, I was uh, 16. We've yeah. all formed the band in uh, 1976. And uh, uh, yeah, we were all 16, really. We all went, except for Colin, we all went to the same school. And uh, I've, but I've known Colin since I was about uh, maybe eight or nine anyway. Just, uh, and when we couldn't find a bass player, I just talked Colin into learning the bass. I said, Thank if you. you buy a bass, I'll teach you. And so he bought a K bass for 30 quid. And I just said, like, right, this is an A, this is an E. That's all you need, really. This one's an E, this one's an A. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so we were 16 and we just started. And uh, uh, that's it. We didn't do covers either, really. We, we just wanted to write our own for some reason. And we couldn't play covers either. I think that was part of the problem. Uh, we weren't very good at it. So we learned a few. We learned Paranoid. I think my brother persuaded me that, we, you know, we've got a couple of gigs at like local pubs, and so my brother Dave would say, you should do Paranoid. I love that, you know. Not quite Not in that, that accent, but anyway. <laughs> uh, so we did Paranoid, and we also did Motorhead once, and we did Space Station Number 5 as well, I believe, but I can't remember doing it. But it's a nice, easy song, you know. So. Yeah. What, what were the bands that kind of sparked that then for you, Brian, uh, to, to, to write your own material at 16? What, what were the bands you were listening to? What well, were, all, all yeah. the usual, you know, Black Sabbath, Led Zeppelin, Deep Purple, you name it, all the classic. The 70s was, as you know, mm. so fruitful, so many incredible bands to inspire kids like myself. Um and there was just no way I was going to be in a covers band. I mean, obviously, the word tribute band didn't exist, thankfully. And uh, I just wanted to follow the heroes, really. I thought, okay, you know, these bands write all their own songs and they've become big rock stars. Let's do that. You know, let's write our own songs and uh, and become rock stars, I suppose. So uh, it didn't quite work out like that, but um, that was the plan. <laughs> So yeah, as a teenager, was it just hours and hours locked in the bedroom playing guitar, honing your craft? Yeah, yeah. yeah pretty much. We didn't do many gigs in the early days. Uh, we didn't do any gigs the first year. And then I think we did one gig the second year and then something like three gigs in year three. And then by year four, we, we started, we had a manager then, a friend said, you know, our manager, Steve Busfield. And uh, and he got us about maybe 15 gigs around the Midlands. So uh, 
we started getting into playing live a lot more then. Yeah. Yeah, we remember <laughs> that. Like when we were like 16, 17, and you start getting on the gig circuit. Um, right. It was just brilliant. Even though we were only playing in Wales at that period, there were so many places to play. Um, yeah. Where I, I don't I feel sorry for the bands that are coming through now because they haven't got that I I don't think they have it as well. Like, you know, we were very fortunate. You could play Jesus Christ, we're in a shame. We could play every weekend when we were yeah. when we were in college in a different part of Wales or a different place, um, and not go back to that place for like a couple of months because you could just right. fill the diary up, you know, saying that's, that's what you need, isn't it? There you need to you know, hone your craft, as they say on stage uh, and, and in front of an audience, learn how to work an audience, learn how to even build a set, you know, yeah. learn what songs work well live. Yeah, yeah, that's before we even started heading to London. So I suppose it's the same with you guys. When you had yeah. that manager on board and then he starts getting you all around the Midlands, was that like yeah. the, the starting point where you could start to see the band go in some way? Um, um, well, I mean, it's it's it, that manager didn't stay and then we had another couple of managers then we had another couple of managers but uh um yeah i mean you know by the time we get to london we'd probably done maybe 25 30 gigs or something so at least we'd had a chance to uh you know get a bit of ex- a bit of experience under our belt you know we weren't just thrust into the limelight too quickly yeah one of the, one of the early gigs uh, in London was supporting Iron Maiden at the Lyceum. And, of course, Jeff Barton reviewed the gig. So no pressure there. You know, A, you, you're playing with Maiden, and B, Jeff Barton's there, the, the legend for sounds. And he wrote a fantastic piece on the band. So that gave us immense um, satisfaction, you know, and confidence to to get something like that. Thank you, Jeff. Wow. How nervous were you for that gig? I can't remember. <laughs> I cannot remember. We only had 20 minutes, I know that. But uh, that's life. Wow. Because you've I obviously toured, you've toured with Iron Maiden, Megadeth, ACDC, Sabbath. Yeah. Absolutely incredible. Any, any story? A question there. How did you get the sessions on the Friday Rock Show? Probably Tony Wilson. Uh, I think... I think, um, what's his name? Tommy Vance played the album when we released Light into the Nations. I think he played Am I Evil? And, uh, and then next thing you know, the producer, Tony Wilson, uh, would get us in for a session, you know, Friday Rock Show, Friday Rock Show session. That's easy for you to say. Uh, I know Def Leppard went on and they did some, uh, they did things like Answer to the Master, didn't they? And some weird tracks that, that, uh, that you know, with their early style, you know. And then, uh, as I say, we got on. Uh, and then Tony Wilson actually uh, produced a couple of things for us. He produced a couple of singles, so that was nice. Uh, we felt we were proper in there. And uh, good old Tommy. Because there wasn't much, you know, there wasn't much rock radio, was there? Back then, in the early eighties, uh, Friday Rock Show, two hours on a two two hours a week was that was it, I think, and maybe Fluff Freeman on on a Saturday. When when Shane was saying then, what what was it like when you got your first like proper support to uh, what were what were you and the guys like? Was that exciting times? Yes, exciting. I think the first tour was at a band called April Wine, come yeah. out from Canada. Uh, and the first thing we noticed was that they weren't particularly friendly. Like, we'd done two dates with ACDC, and they were fantastic. And, uh, you know, we talked to them, and they were so helpful. The crew, everything was brilliant. So when we got to April Wine, we thought they'd be the same, and they weren't. They were all a bit, you know. So we'd pass them in the alley, in the corridor backstage, and we'd go, hello, and they'd sort of go, Hi. And that'd be about it. So that's about, that's about all you get out of them, one word, you know, if you're lucky. They, they obviously didn't want to talk to the support bands. So uh, we learned a lesson there. They're not all as nice as ACDC. <laughs> <laughs> the guys looked after you well with ACDC, did they? Yeah, fantastic. Fantastic. Like yeah. at one point, our drummer was sound checking the drum kit, boom, boom, and the, the guy would be shouting, uh, 
you know, the tom's not in tune or something. So he'd go, yeah, no, it's, it's this drum key, I can't, you know. And uh, after a bit, Dave Rody said, um, I'll tell you what, mate, I'll tune your kit. You can get a drink or something. And so they tuned the drums up and sound checked the kit and, and we all right. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, and and we we had a chat to Peter Mench. He came into the dressing room and uh, had a good chat with us, which was nice. That don't normally happen. No, we we had Bob Richards on here, and um, he was sharing stories of ACDC and just he just said so nice, just beautiful, beautiful people, like great humans. Uh, made him so welcome, even though he only went up for the session to do a video. But he right. just said the the whole process was just like. He just said fantastic and just so yes, well. It was. It was we, it, they spoiled us a bit because we we thought everybody'd be like that. <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously playing with Sabbath as well, that must have been a real bucket list mm-hmm. ticker because it was extra special because they're local, aren't they? The Midlands band. Yeah. So um I'd been a fan of Sabbath since probably seventy three, something like that. My brother saw them in seventy one at Birmingham Town Hall uh, on the uh, Master of Reality tour. And then I caught them in 74 on Sabbath, Bloody Sabbath, Birmingham Odeon. So that was fantastic. Uh, so, of course, I've been a fan, you know, we'd seen them on the Never Say Die tour and things like that. And um, so the idea of just, you know, going out on tour of Europe as well, you know, not just the UK, but... Uh, Getting in a tour bus and going across Europe so exciting to a to a young man. <laughs> and uh, uh, but it, the only fly in the ointment was it wasn't the classic Black Sabbath lineup. It was Ian Gillen on vocals and it was Bev Bevan on drums. And they they were promoting uh, the Born Again album. So, uh, uh, but it was a, a fantastic tour and. Uh, massive venues and, and a, a huge dollop of experience for, for us lads from the, the black country. Yeah, and of course, especially like I was reading as well, you did the original like Monsters of Rock, which yeah. like for me and Shane, when we were leaving school, they were we used to get the old magazines and you'd see the, the lineups, which were incredible. Yeah, um, yeah. So that became part of our, which, you know, lucky enough, we've ticked that off now to play Donington. But it was the Monsters of Rock, because you just, those bands, you it was incredible to see all the names on the posters, like, do you know what I mean? Yes, it was, yes, it was. Very exciting. And that, that was pretty much it for the year, wasn't it? There was that one rock festival yeah. uh, beginning in, I think, 1980. And uh, so everybody would go. It would come from all over the UK. Uh, and you'd bump into, you know, guys from London and Scotland and whatever. And, uh, you know, I went to the first one, the one with um, Rainbow, because I've always been a huge Richie Blackmore fan. And uh, I went to a few. I went to the 84 one with with, uh, ACDC, uh, possibly the 91. Um, I've been to probably about four or five. But, yeah, we played in 83 when the main band was Whitesnake. Yeah. And... uh, a mind-blowing experience. I mean, very difficult. We were the opening band, so the pressure's on, and you're on at, like, say, two in the afternoon. And, uh, you know, it's, t- it's tough. We'd had a lineup change, and we'd got new material, and um, I don't think we had a warm-up gig. I think we'd just rehearsed. Uh, so there was it was quite a tough one for us, but uh, just great to be there, you know, and uh, part of that historic time with the Midland concert promotion and Maurice Jones and all that. That's incredible. Incredible. I mean, I, I've been following, I, I love the stories. Um, our manager put us onto it on the, on the Facebook page. I said at the top of the show, you started doing um, kind of blogs of a new, um, yes. which are, are brilliant. <laughs> the, the Thank t- you. They are. They're great because I love that. I mean, anybody who's a music fan, um, or you've been in a band, you love to hear all the stories or the the day to day. I do, exactly. Yeah, I do. I love it to you know. Somebody tells me a a tale. You know, if you're in a pub and, and somebody says, you know, hey, we did this and we did that, it's great. Uh, so I just thought again while we're in lockdown, while I've got time on my hands, I just thought I know what I'll do. I'll do some blogs. 
and uh, uh, Carly at the label said, "Let's we'll call it Tatler's Tales." Yeah. And so I started, and uh, lots of great feedback. So I just thought, right, keep going, keep going. And while we're not gigging, while we're not giving the fans anything, if you like, uh, I thought well, at least keep them interested via the website and Facebook and give them give them a you know and a bit of humor you know i'm, I'm all for uh, having a laugh and uh, putting some jokes in there and uh, I'm, i don't i try not to take myself too seriously <laughs> i'd much rather read a, a rock book that makes me laugh than just uh it's you know super factual or dry was there any sort of pranks you ever pulled on someone or someone pulled on you life on tour and stuff with other bands? Pranks? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I suppose. We did a gig where the last number, the road crew start dismantling the gear, you know, I mean, that's yeah. been done before. And the one guy walked on and dressed as Santa. You know, so it's all yeah. good fun. Yeah. Uh, I'm not a prank sort of guy, I suppose, because I don't want it done to me. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to pour him. Uh, a bucket of slime over somebody because I don't want a bucket of slime over myself. But we've done, yeah, I suppose, crazy things. We all have, you know, in the in the in the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, anybody in the Crow family that wants to ask Brian a question, he said beforehand, please feel free um, to answer any questions you guys go. Yeah, with with the Metallica thing as well, Brian. For anybody who doesn't know, how how did that come about? How how did you first start the to 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 meet the guys or or to to, to form the relationship that you have? How, how did we first meet them? Yeah, did, yeah. Well, obviously Lars was the 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 catalyst. Uh, he came over. He bought a copy of Lightning to the Nations because it was available mail order. So he bought a copy, came over to see the band in 81 and um, introduced himself, you know, and we knew we'd got a fan in LA because he'd, he'd ordered his copy. And he, I think he wrote back to this, the address, uh, the mail order address and said, I'm coming over, you know. So we met this Danish chap who was 17 backstage at, at the Woolwich Odeon and, uh, Thought he was a nice chap, you know, and and in a way, because he was only seventeen and he'd, he'd flown across the the Atlantic to see us, I just thought, yeah. you know, is he all right? Is where's he going to stay and all that? So I I just said, you you know, do you want to stay with me? You know, do you want to come back and hang with the band? I suppose. So he, he was like free and easy. I suppose that's what he'd, he'd like to have happened, and so we just. Uh, we just took him with us. He jumped in the car with us and we brought him up back up to Birmingham and uh, he stopped at my house or my parents' house and he stopped with Sean's parents and uh, and just hang, you know, he'd come to gigs with us. Uh, he, he came to rehearsal. He'd sit in, in Sean's bedroom while we tried to write songs and uh, he was just a super fan, you know, like uber diamonded fan and, and he never once mentioned... Uh, the drums or anything, or, or you know, I'm going to form a band or anything. He didn't. He did, we didn't know he was going to be a rock star. We just thought uh, he was a super fan, you know, and and not just of Diamond. You know, he loved the the new wave of British heavy metal. So he'd got dozens of albums, like you know, all the other bands and singles. And while he was in the UK, he was buying everything he could uh, to take back to the US with him. Um, and uh, so, you know, he felt like a like a massive fan, really. And it, but it was brilliant that we'd got a fan in America. Yeah. And then we, you know, we found out a bit later that he got this band, and they were called Metallica. And uh, he said we rehearsed six nights a week, and I was very impressed with that because mm -hmm. I don't know another band that rehearsed six nights a week. So I thought, well, we must be keen, must be serious, aren't we? You know. <laughs> and, uh, he was obviously sitting there his rise you know with uh, admiration shall we say yeah but he must have been there sitting there watching you guys you know pen these songs he's learning do you know what I mean I guess so he was taking it all in wasn't he yeah um, little did we know you know <laughs> Wow. I think it's brilliant, and I, I love the fact that obviously they 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 covered Am I Evil, and then 
you know the relationship is is still uh has still grown over the years like you know to the fact of you going over there and performing with them um that's brilliant yet again that's on tatler's tales um what's it a, a dull day <laughs> it's a brilliant tale yeah. <laughs> yes so now uh, we did the uh, 30th anniversary uh, 2011 and uh yeah, that's just, you know, incredible. You know, a phone call from Mars and uh, you want to come over. Do you, you know, what a question to be asked. Do you want to come over to San Francisco to uh, play the four Diamond Hit songs w- that we've covered with with Metallica? And we'll pay the flights and the hotels and, and all that. So what am I going to say? You know, and say, yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it was absolutely fantastic uh, um, to... to uh, to be asked, you know, and to, to get be part of that that whole thing with because there were some big names on that uh, the four days they did four days over uh, over a week each band would um, and each artist would rehearse in the afternoon at Metallica HQ and then do the gig on the night and they they had Rob Halford come in and Ozzy and uh, all sorts of all sorts of you know mega guys came in and uh, we, we were part of that and it's fantastic so i loved it <laughs> that must be a huge proud moment for you dude do you get nervous when you, when you do you still get nervous when you play or is it just a little you- bit i've never been too bad uh with nerves you you know you hear stories about people with stage fright some people yeah. can't even go on stage you know they get it so bad and I've heard people, you know, being sick and all sorts. But I like it. I quite enjoy the vibe, the the excitement, the energy. That I, I suppose there's an element that it could go horribly wrong. You know, your equipment might not work, and it all adds a sort of energy to the to the moment, really. Uh, uh, and then, of course, you know, you're playing to real people who, who are hopefully digging the the show so i do i, I quite like it and, and i'm not scared of a big crowd I, I i'd rather play to a big crowd than a little crowd the yeah. more the merrier for me yeah, uh, yeah. i i do i get up you know i it's it's it is like a drug really you know once you've tasted uh that that uh thing about being on stage you you want it over and over again you don't want to pack it in you know, I think, you know, the big bands like the Stones, they, they don't need the money, of course, but I think they actually enjoy playing live and, and being in the Stones and, in, you know, the, the camaraderie. So I think that they just keep doing it till till they can't anymore, you know, yeah. till, till something stops you doing it. Yeah. The biggest shows you've done, um, what, what type of numbers are we talking, the biggest sort of crowd? and Well, all support. I mean, the... I'd say uh, the two sonospheres we did with Metallica, we reckon we played to about 120,000 over the two dates. Uh, and we also did Milton Keynes Bowl with Metallica in 93. That was probably 60,000. So those two were, were big. Yeah. Uh, we did Hellfest uh, a couple of years ago as well, and Wacken. But, but probably the dates with Metallica were, you know, because they, their following is just, unbelievable isn't it yeah were they some of the best gigs too because of that um, no I, I think i prefer you know a proper diamond egg gig where we do a, a full set yeah. uh really um there's been a lot i don't know how many i've done now but uh, yeah I, I don't know and you've probably got a tiny bit more control the thing with the festival is it's all a bit rushed isn't it you rush yeah. on and you yeah. have to rush off and sometimes you don't get sound check, you might get a line check. And sometimes I can't hear anything in the monitors. You know what it's like. And you, but you, you go for it anyway, don't you? You put on a brave face and it's all, it's all fantastic. But uh, it, it, at least if it's your own gig, you've got time to, to get the sound right and make sure everything's honky-dory. On a, on a Diamond Head sort of headline show, how long are you playing for a night? Probably an hour and a half, something yeah. like that. About ninety minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you struggle writing set lists and stuff? Because obviously, uh, the amount of albums. You a little to... bit. Yeah. I, I, what I would like to do is mix it up. You know, I don't want to do the same set every night. So, I'm always trying to find a new opener. Because I feel if you don't, you know, if you don't change the opener, the 
the people who come to see you time and time again will just think, oh, they always do this. They always open with this. They always do am I evil last. And, you know, so try and mix it up. Uh, I, I, we did one tour where I had a big list of songs that we don't normally play. And we tried to do one every night, a different one every night. So in the dressing room, we'd be going, what's the second verse, you know, <laughs> and things like that. How's that solo go? And try putting, you know, stuff off, off an album we haven't done for 20 years, you know, things like that. But just to mix it up, it helps us make it fresh, you know, make it fresh. There was a question a minute ago. Uh, I forgot what it was. Can you remember what it was? From some guy, Dave Bunny. But I forgot what the question was. But it clicked off and, and I lost it, but anyway. Um, <laughs> no, I can't see. Oh, sorry, Dave, it's gone. <laughs> Never mind. Oh, here we go. Yes, Steve Bonney, have you had any feedback from Lars Ulrich and the Metallica oh. guys of your recent cover of No Remorse? Um, well, he was said he was very honoured. Um, Yes, I spoke to him. I did a Zoom thing with Dave Ling for Classic Rock, and he thought he, he said he was really honoured that Diamond Ed had covered one of their songs, and he thought it sounded great. So I was super chuffed with that, and I passed that on to the the band, and especially Raz, who mixed and produced the uh, the the album Lightning oh, to the Nation to twenty twenty, and um, so that was that was really nice. And he asked me why did we pick that song, you know. Of all the Metallica songs, why pick No Remorse? And I explained that I didn't want to do anything off like the Black Album or something. Yeah. I, I thought, let's do something off Kill Em All, their debut album, just as they covered songs from Diamond Ed's debut album. And I, I, I didn't want to do Seek and Destroy. I thought it was a bit obvious. So I, I settled on No Remorse because I thought it, it sounds a little bit like Diamond Ed. There's, there's things about it that remind me of Diamond Head. Uh, and so we, I got everybody to learn it and we tried it in rehearsal and it, it, it immediately sounded great. So I just thought, that's it. Then we all just thought, yeah, 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 that's, that's the one. So that we didn't have to look any further. No remorse. Fantastic. Fab. Oh, it's another one, yeah. Louise Kirkwood. Or oh, is it Louis? <laughs> Could be Louis. Louis. Is what, it what is it? I think it's Louis Kirkwood. Or is no, it's RA, not Louise. What would you say are key components of heavy metal music? I'm an inspiring metal musician myself. I play guitar and sing. Got any tips? Thanks. The key components? Probably the guitar rips, isn't it? The rips, the distortion, uh, the big drums, the uh, the powerful vocals. Uh, I don't know. I, if anybody asks me about it, you know, for advice, I often say write songs. I think that's the best thing you can do. If you can, if you write good songs, everything else seems to come together. But um, it, it's probably the, the best thing I've ever done is, is write songs. And I, I, I always feel when I'm no longer here, hopefully a song like Am I Evil will, will still be out there in the world doing its thing. Uh, it, that's my legacy in a way, the songs. Uh, so, you know, shows all one, all well and good and all that, but I think focus on your writing uh, every time. You have, you have a tremendous back catalogue. Is there anything that you, you get excited to play live? I, I know like, like we, we've had this discussion with a lot of musicians and like me personally, if we, were to write the hit um, that is everywhere and is popular, you have to, you know, you have to, you have to yeah. play it all the time. You have to. Yeah. Um, but you also right. got to respect that hit because that's what makes you band and stuff. But is there something that, that you just really enjoy playing and you might put it in the set, maybe not all the time, but you're like, oh, I can't wait to play that one? Or There is, but unfortunately, they're not popular ones, really. So we, we end up doing the big songs that people want to hear and have paid to come and see us. Uh, and partly I, I'm very grateful to have those songs because I know the crowd are going to react. And uh, I always think, you know, if a place is going crazy, by the time we get to Am I Evil, it, it'll be, it'll be mayhem, it, mm -hmm. you know, so that's quite exciting now is to know that 
that is as we still haven't even hit the peak yet yeah. uh but i would put in uh, you know we did a song years ago called we won't be back and i like to play that one but we've done it i, I kind of twisted everybody's arms and said let's let's do we won't be back it's great and then we do it and i like it and there's one there's another one called come alive which i really like but it's somehow the, the crowd like it but they don't love it you know it kind of it, it can suck energy out of a show you know if they don't know the song then they, they're not they're not digging it so uh, you have to be real careful with uh, with being indulgent you know so I, I don't do it too often no I like asking that because I know I know you know being in a band is is it's hard because yeah. you're writing a set not just for yourself and and that's it. and then you're putting together a show and it's exactly like you said and and then you look down that list and you're like oh we haven't put that in yet well we better put that in otherwise they're going to leave unhappy like you know so that's right yeah they've got to go home happy haven't they yeah, yeah. and it is really cool to, to to hear from bands or musicians um, and kind of hear the ones, the guilty pleasures more that you've written. They're your babies. They, they, yeah, you know, you've yeah. gone through all the process, but you still don't get to put them in the set, like you know. So that's just. I think that's just the way it is. Yeah. Isn't it? You know, if you go and see ACDC, they will do a lot of the big songs, and they, they will only do a couple off the new album. Uh, and there's always one that you think, oh, I wish I'd do this off something off power age maybe or you know an earlier an earlier cut and and i suppose they've just got so many good songs if they can't in a way they have to be ruthless or we've only got two hours you know so we have to we can't do 60 songs you know but uh yeah i'd imagine most bands have that problem but uh they want to do some new material but they know the crowd want to hear the big hits uh that's the way it is that's yeah, what i want you know, I it if I went yeah, to see a band and they didn't do anything that I'd gone to see them for, I'd be annoyed. I, I probably wouldn't go and see them again. Yeah, I yeah. think that's I, I I did it when I uh, I went to watch Maiden recently, and um, I, I I selfishly wanted to to hear them play Deja Vu. There's a there's a track. It's not one of their most popular tracks, but yeah. I I really like it. I love the chord progressions and I like the melody lines in it. Um, but they didn't play. There was a couple of hits they didn't actually play on that tour because, right. like you said, it's hard when you've got a back catalogue, same yeah. as you guys, when you start racking up the albums, there's got to be something uh, that, yeah. that is left off, unfortunately. Like, you know, That's right. so, I mean, especially at a festival, you know, when you've got 40 minutes or something or a support slot. So you have to be ruthless. And we've got long songs, you know, Am I Evil's eight minutes. Yeah, uh, the prince is six minutes, so we can end up doing five songs on a on a support slot. <laughs> wow, we, we need a couple of those in our sets. <laughs> yeah. So why can have a rest as a vocalist? Yeah, yeah, more solos. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it might be a silly silly question, but do you prefer? It is. Do you do you prefer? <laughs> do you prefer um, writing and recording? that process or do you, do you just live for the live um and it's you can't wait to get out on the road it's both and and very often when i'm on the road i'm i'm moaning because you know i'm fed up and then when i'm in the studio i'm moaning because yeah. i want to be on the road it's a bit like that it's yeah. it's hard to get a balance really um i i i really enjoy the creative the creative bit where you're writing and, and you get some magic uh, and um, I enjoy you know recording guitars and things like that uh, and it's it's amazing when you hear the mix kind of thing and the vocals are done and the you know the tracks come to life and it's you think oh it's gonna be brilliant this is but then you can't wait to play it live and yeah. and, and get back on the road and, and I've really missed the road of course from lockdown you know 15 months of, of uh, twiddling twiddling at home uh, so it's a bit of both it's not either or have you got plans to meet up with the guys i know you're going to meet up with the curry and um uh, yeah. but have, you got, have you got plans to to meet up with the band and we um... haven't yet uh, our next gig is bloodstock in august so we're, we're going to do a week's rehearsal before then 
Um, our drummer lives in France, Raz lives in London, and the three of us are in the Midlands. So even getting together, you know, it's, there's an expense involved. Uh, so we have to be a bit, a bit careful. Um, it would be great if we could rehearse every week and, and all that business, but logistically we can't do that. So we just have to do, you know, like a hot house thing where you just rehearse every day for, you know, a week or something and get it, get it tight. And we also, I'm going to start working on new material once we actually get together, but that's going to end up being August now. So, uh, I'm looking forward to that. Um, and I'll just keep going, you know, keep, keep pushing forward. Keep, keep, keep the ball rolling. It's rolling very nicely. And, uh, I just want to keep it rolling. There's, there's a, there's a question. No, oh, no, it's the same. Sorry. Oh, Dave Davies. Dave Davies. In which country do you feel the fans give you the best life support? I thought they were boss in Poland. <laughs> boss in Poland. Poland was amazing, actually. We did three dates in Poland and uh, all amazing gigs. Uh, so good, good call there, Dave. Um, UK is always good, you know, Scotland, Ireland's great, um, Wales is great, not to miss you out. <laughs> uh, um, we've done quite a bit in the US and Canada's good. We enjoyed, uh, we did a 15-day tour of Canada around 2016, 17. So that was good. I enjoyed that. We got to places that we've never even heard of before. And we'd turn up and and do a show. So they probably appreciated that we'd made the effort, you know, to come all this way and play for them. Um, but not nowhere in particular. It it just depends. So it's all good. But Poland, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because you went you went out to Japan. You've you've done it all, really. You've done the whole. You've done the world. We haven't you? gone. Now we haven't done Australia or New ah. Zealand. And we haven't done, like, uh, South America. So we haven't been to Brazil and all those countries. And, uh, of course, we haven't been to Russia or China and all that. So there's still territory to be conquered. Um, yeah. But it, it, you, you'd have to rely on a promoter, don't you, to, 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 to get you out there and, and make, take the risk and put you on and... You know, it's expensive, isn't it? Paying for flights and, and hotels and promotion and hire a venue and hire equipment. So yeah, they've got to be they've got to be sure that they're going to sell tickets. Uh, it's it's tricky, but yeah. we love to play. You know, we really love to to go to new countries where we haven't been and uh, sample the culture. You know, as you as you mentioned, Japan. You know, fantastic. But um, you know, I'd love to go back, maybe one day. Yeah. I'd love to tour Japan. What about you, Ron? Yeah. Yes, I'm really looking forward to that. Yeah, to Japan. Well, yeah. that's the thing, you know, I think any band, uh, especially if you're a fan and you, you used to collect the magazines and start seeing the bands and then they go a bit quiet and you realise they're in a different territory because they're not on a on a campaign or, a, or, or whatever in the UK and then you might get snippets of them playing in America or South America, as you said, because there's a massive scene uh, especially yeah. metal thrash in in South South America. Oh yeah, incredible. We, incredible. We hear, we always hear the stories. You know, you guys, you go to you know Brazil and all that, but uh, it's just getting over there. Really, we haven't uh, managed to do it yet, but I'd love to one day. That's fab, Brilliant. and I, that shocked me with the Australia because obviously um, yeah. I know. You know, I, I think it was a good 10 years ago, but there was a great scene out in Australia and um, a lot of amazing festivals. So, but like you it's said, the again, it's the cost, it's the cost, yeah. The cost yeah. is shocking, isn't it? You know, and it, probably visas involved. And and also, when you're in Australia, you can't drive, you know, from Sydney to Perth and Canberra, can you? You have to fly. They're all so yeah. far apart. So each time you'd have to fly all the band, all the, all the equipment, Unless you're using, you know, dodgy hired backline every every time, mm. um, so it's the costs will rocket to tour Australia for a British band. Yeah, yeah. We've got one more question for you, Brian. Okay. 
It's what's your favourite song off the coffin train? Okay, oh, it's the title track. Oh, it's Dave Bonney again. He's a good lad, isn't he? All right, <laughs> <laughs> Dave. All right, Dave. <laughs> Pint of beer in it for you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the title track. Coffin train. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I love I love the artwork. You can see it there on the left hand side. That's amazing. I love. Yeah, that. good artwork. That's oh. a chap called um, Travis something. I forgot his surname. Uh, American guy. Never met him. All done on the net. Yeah. You know, we told him what we needed. Give him a sketch, and he he said he went out and took a load of photographs of old trains, right. and uh, and then started you know doing what he does and send them back and fantastic. Just yeah. just blown away. I love it. Absolutely love it. Yeah, great. Yeah. One of the best covers we've ever had. Well, well, I'm just looking there now. You've had some incredible covers. Well, the Borrowtown was a big one, yeah. That's a Rodney Matthews, isn't it, that? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I really like uh, both of those. Fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for the right. compliment. Brian, thank you so much for joining us, mate. Um, I completely We were over the moon when we found out we could have you on Crowcast. Hey. Um, a real honor speaking with you, buddy, and hopefully we'll share a stage one day. Well, yeah, I mean, as I say, we've already bumped into each other at um, Planet Rockstock. Rockstock, yeah. yeah. And there's another one coming up, isn't there, in December? Yes. Yes, yes so we'll, we'll see you then. Awesome. We'll have a baby or something. Yes, definitely, yes. mate. Definitely. Right. We'll, we'll bring you down one of ours so you can try that. You can sample yeah. that. Okay. <laughs> well, can I get a bathe thumbs up to you then? <laughs> brilliant. But yeah, thank you for having me on the show. It's been really good. I've enjoyed it. It's brilliant, you, mate. Brilliant. And honestly, we'll um, n- now I've been put into the direction. I'll be on the page uh, reading more of the tales. I assume you'll still be doing more, yeah? Yeah, I'm doing them as we speak. I've got one coming in the next few days, and then I'm working on one probably next week for next week or something like that, yeah. I'm still coming. Oh, well, people are enjoying them, so I'm just going to keep going until I run out of steam or we actually start gigging, you know, whatever comes first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Brian, thank you, buddy. Take care. Thank you, Shane. Thank you, Ronnie. Thank all the you best. very much. See you soon. Take care, Brian. You too. All the best with the band. Thanks for listening to Crowcast Podcast. Don't forget, this episode is also available to watch on our YouTube channel. For up-to-date information on everything Crows, follow us on all our socials or visit our website, thosedamncrows.com. Tidy. Ta-da!